You're listening to the Better for America podcast presented by AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens. Hello, everyone. I'm Rebecca Weber, and this is your AMAC podcast, Better for America. I want to thank the over 2 million AMAC members who stand with us in defense of freedom. And now, folks, is a critical time for us to be vigilant. AMAC believes in the sanctity of our Constitution and the freedom that it secures for all Americans. And thanks to all of you listening, AMAC is gaining muscle as we work to protect your rights and uphold the values of the greatest nation on earth. These are values rooted in faith, family, and freedom. Today, I'm joined by AMAC spokesman, Bobby Charles, and we will be talking on truth and history. So let's jump right in. Bobby, I couldn't wait to speak with you. I'm really feeling hopeful because you and I were always working to get the truth out. And I think more and more people are seeing it. Uh, We see more and more people joining AMAC each and every day because they see the value, Bobby, in what we are doing. So I want to jump right into some questions with you. Uh, You're a bit of an unabashed truthsayer. I call you a glass breaker. And I think America needs more people like that. Uh, Bobby, you and I are all about getting to the truth. Now, you worked for Ronald Reagan and George H.W. Bush in their White Houses. You worked for Colin Powell as his Secretary of State. Uh, You're a seasoned lawyer, you taught at Harvard, and you were a 10-year Navy intelligence officer. So you're a great person to talk to. Let me ask you about something kind of silly. I'm going to ask you about words. Uh, The left is redefining our words. That's right. Can you imagine? They're redefining our words. And we should be aware of this and not accept these redefinitions. Uh, not get drawn into accepting the assumptions behind these definitions. For example, Bobby, you and I know the author Ibram X. Kendi. He is actually considered to be one of the scholarly voices behind these woke ideas. He came out with this book, which I did read, How to Be an Anti-Racist. And it literally reveals a lot about modern leftism. Uh, It seems that these words, common words that we use, racist, racism, and equity, they've been completely redefined. And so everybody who's listening should be very disturbed to learn that and to understand that. But Bobby, I'd like for you to expand on that. Tell us what's happening with the redefinition of words and how that impacts society. I think you've you've really put your finger on uh, sort of the Achilles heel of the leftist movement, which is that if they can get uh, the rest of America to essentially give up on what they think of as common sense, or if they can give up on the definition of words that have been around for uh, you know hundreds of years, if not longer, uh, then they begin to win by essentially, as you say, baking assumptions into the redefinition. So these words, you know, and you might say, well, are you sure about that? Is that really what's happening? And I would say to you. First, go back and take a quick glance at uh, uh, George Orwell's book, 1984. He calls it doublespeak, and he predicts all of this, uh, the idea that not only Big Brother is watching you uh, to pick up on somebody like uh, Tucker Carlson saying that the NSA may be looking at him, uh, but, uh, but actually the very idea of redefin- redefinition of words. I mean, uh, you know, interestingly enough, even that relates to the redefinition redefin- of words legally, Uh, You can look at someone who's the enemy of the state if you get all the proper legal protections. But under what circumstances does a conservative commentator become the enemy of the state? Well, let's go deeper. I mean, let's just go. You know, it's almost like a like you could go down through a a checklist of these words. 
uh, equity is now being replaced, uh, being used uh, in place of the word equality. You know, we have equality of individuals that are guaranteed, guaranteed in our constitution, equal protection uh, of the individual under the 14th Amendment, under the Fifth Amendment. Um, we, we have equal treatment is what we expect of individuals. We don't look at equal, uh, we don't look at equity of outcomes between groups. And yet that's what they want equality now to mean. Look at free speech. People are being uh, prosecuted for free speech. Even back into the Obama years, this was beginning as they tried to prosecute people who questioned the idea of, uh, of whether there was a, a rapid uh, change in the climate. Look at free expression of exercise of our religion. Only the Supreme Court has backed up the definition of our free exercise as governors have tried to take it away during this COVID uh, issue. Look at something like the Second Amendment. Okay, The Second Amendment in 2004, if you go back and look at the Democrat platform for the presidency, you will see that what they said very simply was that we will defend uh, the right of Americans to keep and bear arms. Now, in the 2020 uh, platform for the Democrats, their uh, reference to the Second Amendment is that they will cut it and change it in 17, you can count them, 17 different ways, literally. It's in the platform. So there's a redefinition of the Second Amendment. In fact, one of the justices, one of the Democrat-appointed justices who retired, Stevens, said he just thought we should just get rid of the Second Amendment. But, you know, I'll just, I'll just end on, on this note. There are so many words they're trying to change. They're trying to change the idea of a filibuster. Go back and look at Jimmy Stewart's movie, Mr. Smith goes to Washington and understand why a filibuster is important, right? What about reconciliation? They're changing that. What about the word impeachment? They changed that, right? And then in order to make that happen twice for no basis, uh, with no basis, they, they changed the definition of due process. Look what they're doing to Rudy Giuliani. They've changed the definition of what a lawyer is allowed to do uh, and due process. So, you know, just to- And they're trying to normalize these changes too, Bobby. I, one thing that yeah. really bothers me- uh, it gets to me so much is that they want to change, take out the word mother and father and replace it with birthing people. <laughs> I mean, that one really got to me because are, are they going, do, does the left want to remove Mother's Day? Do they want to remove Father's Day? What a shame. If we uh, are that woke, then I don't want to be woke. You know what I'm saying? Because it's not woke. It's plain crazy. It's crazy. Well, it is. What it is. Sometimes we got to call it what it is. It's crazy. It is. And, and, you know, and so let's go to that point, Rebecca, because, uh, you know, thinking of both of us uh, have put a high value on family. We put a high value on uh, truth. We put a high value on the idea that values are passed generation to generation. And of course, they're only passed if you stay faithful to the words and what the words really mean uh, and the values that are Im embodied in those words. So Nancy Pelosi and the, and the House Democrats change the rules of the house so that you can't on the floor of the house refer to mother, father, grandmother, grandfather. Uh, there's this whole idea now that there are 64 flavors of gender and therefore uh, pronouns don't matter anymore. We, we Biden signed a, a document that said you can no longer refer to, uh, in, if you're a federal employee or working with federal documents, even though the law refers to the, them this way, someone who is a foreign alien who crosses the border illegally is not allowed to be called an illegal alien. Uh, and then who's racist? They, you know, there are several Democrats that have gone onto the floor of the House and the Senate who said racists are defined as anyone who doesn't agree with the Democrat Party. So what about peaceful protests that are really violent riots or the argument that an insurrection has occurred when actually having been an assistant secretary of state, I can tell you an, an insurrection is the toppling of a government by a lot of trained uh, huge numbers of automatic weapons. It's not what we saw. 
uh, or great. look at look at the you know definition, Rebecca, of court packing. They're saying just right. adding you know or, or or bipartisanship, which now just means that you utter the words, you don't really get it done. Or border crisis that we can't say, or voter suppression, which is actually states trying to preserve the rights of voters. So you know what we're ha- what's happening in a nutshell is that we are being challenged as individuals and as individuals who care about the country and who care about our families and who care about uh, truth. We are being challenged by a frontal attack saying, we are going to redefine your world. And we need to push back and say, the world you're trying to create this dystopia is not the world we live in and it's not the world we're gonna abide by. We're gonna live in the one that really matters and that's America the beautiful. Yeah, Bobby, thank you for pointing that out. AMAC is so committed to uh, those values. And you know, we're not gonna stand and turn a blind eye to bills that, that promote or mandate that boys and girls use the same bathrooms or that boys compete in sports and women's sports. Uh, you know, we're just not going to stand idly by. Uh, that is not uh, what they wanna call racial equity. It is not what they wanna call fair. Uh, there's something really deeply wrong with their thinking, and uh, it's just not rooted in 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 you know faith, family, or or freedom. Quite frankly, it's not. Uh, they want to remove faith. They want to remove our freedoms. You, you couldn't ahead. be more. You, no, you you couldn't be more right. And I would say that one thing we have to watch for is that. We're very on guard for those fundamental changes, uh, you know, the changing of the gender, the idea that boys can go into girls' bathrooms and locker rooms. That's a fundamental, uh, and that's affecting people. Just the way that telling somebody that is not a racist that they're a racist that that's affecting people. Uh, but you know, they're doing this on the periphery too. Rebecca, look at the redefinition of the word infrastructure. They keep talking about an infrastructure bill. Only five percent of that bill is what all prior infrastructure bills were, which is a bill dedicated to the proposition of repairing bridges and roads and, and that kind of sure. basic basic uh, basic transportation. So what are they doing? They're pushing socialism through the redefinition of infrastructure. That's what they're doing. I want to take this analysis a little bit further. You have made the argument quite compellingly, Bobby, that critical race theory is a not so clever rebranding of Marxism. And we've talked about it, you and I, Uh, And you've also made the case recently that America is not racist uh, and that the entire narrative is wrong, that America is racist. And you state that America is anti-racist. Matter of fact, you'll be coming out with a fantastic article. Can't wait to publish it. Uh, We'll be publishing soon in the next AMAC magazine. But could you share a little bit about um, your thoughts on America is anti-racist? America is not racist. America is anti-racist. Share with us your thoughts because you have worked, Bobby, at the highest reaches of the U.S. government. And so what do you mean when you say America is by definition anti-racist? So I think I will get right to the pinpoint of your question. I I just want to say that um, narratives, this idea of a narrative is something that we we buy into that too, unfortunately. The idea that we're gonna accept a storyline. Used to be that narratives were children's stories um, or a narrator narrated a children's story. Um, The narrative we've been asked to accept is that America is a racist uh, country and uh, they spring the word systematic uh, 
at the front of it so that we don't misunderstand that they want to accuse everyone. Uh, what I would tell you is that the narrative isn't just something we should be pushing back against, but rather that there is a completely different narrative. And that narrative, the one that's not being spoken about is the truth. And the truth is that America is anti-racist. Now you can look, it, it's not just anti-racist. It is the most anti-racist country on the face of the planet or in the history of humanity. So you can look internally, you can look at our constitution and say, which country tries harder in all the world to make real the promise of equality? Or you can look externally at where all the rest of the world comes. The United States, and this is where the data completely lines up between the but behind the narrative that America is the most unracist, non-racist, anti-racist, actively anti-racist country in the history of mankind. Why? How do you say, how can I say that? How can I, how can I defend that proposition? Well, let's start here. With some 200 countries in the world, how is it that one of those countries has 19% of all the minority immigrants in the world coming here? That's the United States. How is it that one country, no other country, has 40 million citizens who were born outside the country, 14% of our 330 million? How is it that one country, this country, has 25% of all our millionaires, 25% of all the millionaires in America are minorities? How is it that, in, again, the American dream, how is it that the program, the diversity visa program, that was set up by George Herbert Walker Bush actually has an overwhelming majority of Africans who apply to it in the 50,000 visas a year. And they're being encouraged obviously to come and they're being encouraged by their families to come. How is it that three quarters of all the African-Americans, most of whom when they get here and get naturalized, having worked with a US Court of Appeals that naturalized them, actually would prefer to be called Americans, just Americans. Thank you. They, they, three quarters of all those who can draw roots back to Africa got here after 1990. So get, there goes the 1619 project or all this idea that it came from the past. No, we have a past. We learn from our past by not forgetting our past. We correct the errors of the past, which is what the 13th Amendment, the 14th Amendment, and the 19th Amendment did. But we love our country and so does the rest of the world. There is not a country on the face of the planet that brings to it as many people every year by desire to just be here, just have a shot at the American dream than America. You don't see the African American, you don't see the African community or the South American community striving to get into Japan or Germany or France or, or, uh, or China or Russia, nope. And in fact, those countries wouldn't admit them anyway. We, do you know why we admit the other, the other so much? The reason we're the magnet for all the world? Why is because, that? Because we are the other. That's right. I love we it. We love diversity. And our polling, the Pew polls and the Gallup polls, show that two out of three Americans not only think that immigration, legal immigration, legal immigration is not only good, they believe we should have as much or more of it. They That's have funny. no, they have no animos toward their fellow uh, American, and whatever their skin color. So that's the, that's the truth, okay? And the truth is what's being forgotten in the face of having to argue back about individual incidents 
where individuals who are racist or who are motivated or can be interpreted as, as racist are, are making mistakes. You know, until we have perfect human beings, we will have human beings of every race, color, and creed who make mistakes. And we will have to keep thinking about how to, how to educate them. That's right. Yeah. You know, and what's so terrible about the border crisis is that um, because we, as you've said, and I just want to put a big exclamation point after the, the statement that you made that, yeah, we do want people, Americans largely want all people across the globe to be here in America. Um, we, we know that our ancestors were those that came over, but there's a, there's a reason why we want that to be a legal process. And this is where the truth comes in. The left is going to try to convince you and mainstream media will convince us that if we see people coming over the border and we, um, you know, which we we're seeing, we know that that's happening and we don't have open arms and a, and a compassionate heart that somehow we're wrong people. But the truth is that we're damaging lives. We're causing a long-term bad effect on America. It's going, we're bringing drugs over. People are getting raped. Children are being abused. Children are being left in cages at numbers never seen before. Children are being separated from their parents. Uh, they're, they're crying. I saw on Fox News this morning, I had to turn the television off. It just broke my heart. I saw a young child, two-year-old crying on the side of the road. The video shows us. And a young girl, seven or eight years old, pushed into a big... Uh, cage with hundreds of other children. I thought she's stepping over children to get to sit somewhere. And Kamala Harris, who calls herself the borders are, is a failure, an embarrassment. And uh, isn't it crazy that Donald Trump seems to be a better borders are today in July of 2021 than Kamala Harris has ever been. I mean, he's at least speaking out and he's at least showing up and people care about that because we've got to care about the people who live in these states that are, that are impacted. And you know, Bobby, really good people, really good people are stepping up to help these illegal immigrants, these youngsters, these young children, these children that are left without parents, these children that are, that uh, you know, young people that are indebted to, um, to drug czars because uh, somehow they, you know, they feel that they owe them their, their life. Uh, the drugs and the fentanyl that's coming over, the number of lives, the American lives that are lost day in and day out. So it irks me when somebody says that leave the border wide open, be a good American. Uh, that is not the truth. That's that's a bunch of yes, yes it is. So you know, let's let's get to a, let me just unpack a couple of those things. First, rule of law doesn't exist unless you unless you enforce the law. So we appreciate right. the fact that we're a place where rule of law in the United States where rule of law matters. I, I spent time setting up programs in Afghanistan and Iraq and Kosovo and Colombia and, and uh, places around the world where there where there was no uh, standing rule of law where it didn't matter. And if you stop enforcing it, it doesn't it doesn't exist. Second point, you, you're absolutely right. When, you know, Kamala Harris and Joe Biden and frankly, all the Democrats who are turning their heads away from the crisis at the border. Those individuals are all liable for every single rape, for every single drug uh, trafficking death that occurs uh, as a result directly and indirectly from the trafficking of the drugs. They are directly, uh, they are liable because they've created the conditions that have invited this crisis. You know, in the law, you are responsible for the proximate cause of the things that you do. Uh, and, uh, and it, I mean, I won't go into it at length, but the bottom line is there are thousands of cases and thousands of statutes at the state and federal level that make clear that if you set up conditions that create yeah. bad things, you're liable for it. So 
bottom line is, Rebecca, you could not be speaking more truth in a, in a, in a soundbite than you did, because this is, this is the United States of America. If we're going to stay who we are, we not only need to use the, the real words, uh, believe in the real rights, uh, because they are immutable, they're timeless, they're natural law, and we have to work to remember that the reason people come here is because rule of law is real here, and your opportunity, everybody's opportunity, to do right. well. If you stand in line, and if you if you abide the law, it's a great place to live. It is. Bobby, uh, let us shift gears just a little bit. I want to shift gears to a third topic. I want to talk about Afghanistan. Now, Bobby, you trained the Afghan police uh, under Colin Powell and the Afghan security forces who don't have a great reputation as fighters have actually abandoned or handed over armored vehicles and weapons to the Taliban uh, without fighting or resisting. Last month alone, I believe 1,300 security forces and officials have surrendered. Now, you have warned against another 9-11. And perhaps you could share your 9-11 story. And then looking forward, Bobby, what do you think will happen with Biden pulling everything and everyone out? There's no tripwire, no, no troops left to train or support. Uh, what do you predict will happen and how might that affect us? What a, what a timely question and, and, and what a poignant question. You know, this is the 20th year, the anniversary of 9-11. And before I tell my story, let me address the policy uh, everyone has a story about 9/11 and, and the effect it had on their lives, uh, but 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 about the policy, you, again, you're dead on. Um, you know, as a, as an old diplomat once said to me, when you pull your fist out of the bucket, the water fills in around you real fast, uh, and that's what we're doing in Afghanistan. Uh, everywhere in the world we've been, whether it was post World War II in Germany, uh, the rest of Europe, the support of NATO, whether it was in the Far East uh, uh, and helping to rebuild Japan, whether it was the Philippines, whether it was uh, a dozen other countries, we have always kept a tripwire there. And the reason is not just to keep us informed, allow us to train foreign forces, but in a country like Afghanistan, where terrorists are just, uh, they're just drooling over the opportunity to come back in and flip that government. That government, uh, I would put the odds at better than 50-50 that the Afghan government will fall. Now that's a, that's a bold thing to say, but it will mm -hmm. fall because they believe the United States is no longer there to back them up. It is so much easier to keep a dam in place by keeping a finger in the hole or preventing the crack than it is to rebuild the dam after it's burst and done all the damage. And so I'm not eager for the idea that we'd redeploy it large numbers back into Afghanistan. But 9-11 was the direct result uh, of Osama bin Laden and terrorists, in particular Al-Qaeda, Al uh, aligning with the Taliban uh, and dominating that country. And, and, and they then power projected against the West and we were the target. So right. the point I guess I would make very pointedly is this was a, in my view, this was a major strategic error to pull the tripwire, to pull all U.S. troops out of Afghanistan. It was an avoidable error. Uh, it's an unforced error. Uh, and the notion that we're going to pull our only carrier out of the Pacific, the carrier that was in the Pacific, and put it over the horizon uh, to sort of stabilize the country is just some sort of fairy tale nonsense. We don't stabilize countries with one carrier into the indefinite future. So uh, it's not only a mistake in Afghanistan, it's also a mistake in the Far East because that empowers China uh, perhaps to put fighters on their artificial islands and to terrorize sure. Taiwan or worse. So my 9-11 my story in a nutshell was that I, as you know, 
uh, was a naval intelligence officer. And uh, I, I really enjoyed the, that was a great aspect of my life. I was a reservist who spent a lot of time active with the active duty folks at the Pentagon. And on 9-11, by chance, I was also, because I was a reservist, I was also, and I tended to be there during the week, uh, as most are not, but that was my, my way of doing it. Uh, and I always added time just because it, because I really liked working with those people on those missions. And we were looking at a lot of things, including red teaming. So um, on that day, I was actually scheduled to give a speech in Phoenix. And so I climbed on a plane 45 minutes before the plane that hit the Pentagon. Uh, and I was in the air, uh, headed for Phoenix, and uh, all of 9-11 happened with me in the air. Uh, the captain came on and said, uh, I don't think they told the captains what was really happening. Uh, he came on and said something like, well, we've just been ordered to land wherever we are. So I'm gonna put us down in Wichita. Um, and so I'll be back with you when I know more. A um, couple minutes later, all these planes lined up. I mean, hundreds tailed a, like, like an elephant. I mean, can I can I ask you when when the when the yeah. pilot said that? Uh, had you uh, you know? Because I'm thinking back in uh, you know 20 years ago, did we have the cell phone? Did everyone have the cell phone technology, or was were we all using it at yeah. that time? And some people had cell phones. I did. I did not have a cell phone, and some people had them. Um, yeah, I will tell you that uh, really just this wide open yeah. sort of what's going on, right? Feeling. Well, actually, my my thoughts, perhaps because of my training, went to the idea that my first thought was maybe this is a this is an EMP issue, an electromagnetic pulse issue, and they're putting planes down. But that didn't make any sense because uh, it would have put out the electronics in the plane. Uh, my second thought was this must be a threat on the system because our aviation system is triple redundant. So not, all, not only are the systems in the planes redundant, uh, up to 757s, et cetera, but, uh, but the actual ground control is redundant. So you couldn't blow up a particular location. There's a backup location to control the plane's guidance. So that's not, I, I thought, well, the FAA, so I thought this must just be a threat on the system right. of some kind. So literally like elephants, tail to nose, tail to trunk, uh, all these planes just landing one after another, boom, 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 boom. And we got down on the ground and uh, he said, uh, I now need to tell you, because I don't think they told him until they got down, that, um, that, uh, the, that the World Trade Centers have collapsed to the ground. And of course we saw the footage and then shortly the, the Pentagon was hit and then the plane went down in Pennsylvania. So I immediately, actually it took me half an hour to get to my wife, which was a very unhappy, unpleasant half hour for her. Um, and then I was able to get a rental car with someone and dropped her in an older lady in uh, Ohio. Just, I drove 23 hours across the country. A Couple of really remarkable things. I guess the saddest remarkable thing is that that plane penetrated the Pentagon to the fourth ring and took out the spaces I was supposed to be in and killed all of my colleagues. So my six good friends from uh, what we called CNOIP, who were the red team unit, were all killed. I volunteered for active duty immediately. Um, but uh, the part that I want to say was in some ways the most poignant positive aspect, two aspects to it. As I drove through the night, the roads were largely empty. 
except for ambulances. And the ambulances were all silent and they were carrying donations of blood to military aircraft who had control of the skies, who were going to New York and to Washington in hopes of having people that needed that blood. As it turned out, not much of it was needed, but that's what they were doing. That's what Americans did. The second big impression was that all across the United States, driving through a dozen states in the dark of the night at one in the morning, at two in the morning, there were people praying at the sides of the roads with candles, with flags over the, over the uh, overpasses. All of a sudden, just like that, uh, just dozens and dozens of groups at the sides of the road. And then the third piece, which I thought was quite remarkable in its own right, is that National Public Radio, not known as a conservative outlet uh, then or now, um, was suddenly broadcasting in every single media market. If you go to a certain point on the dial, you tend to flow from media market to media market all across the United mm -hmm. States. And if you go back and listen to the tapes, they're broadcasting prayer meetings all mm -hmm. across the United States, in school auditoriums, in churches suddenly reopened, in people's homes. So I, of course, took away from that a great sense that America has the ability to be united when we're under fire. Mm -hmm. And uh, my active duty time was certainly well spent and with good people uh, training the next group of active duty who would replace those who'd perished. But um, I think we also forget how quickly we forget. We forget how quickly we forget. And my wife said to me, um, it won't last. And I said, oh, of course it'll last, you know, like Pearl Harbor. And well, my wife was right and I was wrong. Um, those who wish to tear us apart from ex externally, outside and from inside have that ability if we let them have that ability. And I would say at the anniversary of 9-11, as we go forward, I would encourage people to remember it's in our hearts and it's in our minds to be able to control the unity for freedom that we believe in. And we, we had it. We had it right after 9-11, as your father would know, and as, as anybody alive at the time thinking about those events would remember, we did unify and we can do that. So I would encourage people to keep thinking hopefully about that. You know, Bobby, the beautiful thing too is uh, it reminds us how much we have in common. You know, America's um, heartbeat and our, our resilience is so strong uh, because when, when we are in, in those dark times as a nation together, we come yeah. together. And so can't we all be reminded, can't we all be reminded to count the things that we have in common with one another instead of dividing one another? You know, we spoke about critical race theory today. That's a division. It's a way to divide people. We spoke about the, the woke dictionary and how they're using their own uh, definition, making up their own definition of words, another way to divide people. Mm -hmm. uh, we need to come together as a nation and, uh, you know, this was just it was really beautiful. I appreciate that you shared, share that with us because it's positive and it's good news. It's a good reminder and we must never forget. I want to thank everybody out there listening today. I just enjoy so much having uh, Bobby Charles, Robert Charles, who is AMAC spokesman and so much more with me here today. I want to encourage people to go to our website. Uh, look at the articles. Bobby is putting out uh, article after article, really keeping us updated. Uh, and the next AMAC magazine We'll be highlighting uh, Robert Charles's article, America is Anti-Racist. 
And to all of you listening today, I wish you a very healthy, happy, and safe 4th of July weekend. And we look forward to having you back with us again on AMAC's podcast. If you haven't joined or renewed, please go to our website at amac.us. That's it for today, everyone. Thanks for tuning in. And we look forward to having you back with us again next time. Bye-bye, everyone. Thank you for listening to the Better for America podcast. To learn more about AMAC and all it has to offer, visit us at www.amac.us.